If you have a Bible, could you take it and turn to Matthew chapter 7? Matthew 7, and as you do, we're going to be in verses um, 24 through 27. These are the last words that Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll consider next Sunday, Lord willing, um, the last couple verses of chapter 7 and the first verse of chapter 8. And as we do that, we're going to try to think about the whole sermon, uh, the sermon as a whole, and and try to remember and, and apply it to our lives. And so that's the plan for uh, next Sunday is to try to cover the whole sermon, having already walked through it, um, give a bigger overview. Um, to that end, in your bulletin, there is a um, a reading plan. If you would like to remember what we've learned, uh, just starting on Monday through next Sunday, seven days to read through the Sermon on the Mount, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, I'd encourage you to do it with others. Uh, it could be a great mealtime activity. Sit down and and read the Sermon on the Mount. It won't take long, um, or you could read it by yourself, or you could do both, but uh, take a moment to let's refamiliarize ourselves with this uh, wonderful teaching of Jesus in this coming week as we close out this, this series. Uh, last Sunday, we entered into the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, where we see these three illustrations, um, and, and Jesus there calls all who hear his words to not simply listen to what he says, but to walk in his ways, to do what he says. He, he called us to walk down a narrow path that leads to life and to avoid the broad way that the false teachers are calling us to go down. We said that this, this broad way that leads to destruction is not simply a rejection of God, but a rejection of the wholeness that Jesus is calling us to, a rejection of true heart righteousness and an acceptance instead of the cheap substitute of false external displays of righteousness. And so we are, we are to seek the true righteousness that's found in Jesus and in his command and his commands as opposed to simply appearing righteous. We have to do this because we know that uh, appearances can be deceiving. Think about um, mild-mannered Clark Kent. He looks like every other reporter at the Daily Planet, doesn't he? But he's actually a superhuman from the planet Krypton who can fly. Or maybe you would think about his, uh, his enemy, Lex Luthor. He looks like a businessman that just is, has a hobby in science, maybe, you know. But in actuality, he is this evil supervillain. Uh, and, and individuals who, who appear righteous in their external actions, we know, can also be far removed from the devotion that's described in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus calls deception like this hypocrisy. Literally, it's, it's play acting. It's pretending to be one thing on the outside, but being something completely different inwardly. He talks about cups that are clean on the outside, but filthy on the inside. Tombs that are whitewashed, but they're filled with dead bones. Now, if we're honest, we know, as Bing Crosby says in White Christmas, that everybody's got a little bit of larceny operating in them, that we've all got a little bit of hypocrisy to us, right? To one degree or another, we deceive others with our appearances. Uh, the author Brendan Manning speaks of a deceptive part of us called the imposter, or, or we could say the false self. He writes this, to gain acceptance and approval, the false self suppresses or camouflages feelings, making emotional honesty impossible. 
living out of the false self creates a compulsive desire to present a perfect image to the public so that everybody will admire us and nobody will know us. The imposter is a, a liar who demands to be noticed but does not want to be known. He's a master of disguise. She shines in public but lives in the shadows. Appearing acceptable, appearing righteous, it feels safe, especially in a world that wants to judge our every thought, word, and action. Whether at our, at our jobs or on social media or even in our homes, we feel this pressure to perform, to look the part. It even feels safer to, to walk in false righteousness before God as if we can fool him in some way, the same way that we fool others. But Jesus warns us that all of our deception is going to end in disappointment and destruction. As he closes out the Sermon on the Mount with one of his most powerful and memorable illustrations, he says to the actor, to the hypocrite in all of us, he says, build your life on the foundation of true righteousness. That's our big idea for today. Hopefully simple enough to remember. Build your life on the foundation of of true righteousness. This is a, a call away from appearing righteous into being transformed by the righteousness of Jesus. Let's read Matthew 7, 24 through 27 as we think on this idea, build your life on the foundation of true righteousness. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 24, Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Build your life on the foundation of true righteousness. Jesus, in line with what has just come before in verses 13 through 23, and echoing the, the, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, presents us with two foundations to build our lives on that will lead to two different ends. I think considering those two aspects of the parable will be most helpful, the most helpful way to understand it. And so I want to ask two questions. Uh, first, what are the two foundations? And second, what is the result of building on them? Pretty simple. So the first question is, what are the two foundations? Let's think about these. What are the two foundations? Obviously, the two foundations are rock and sand. But what do these represent? Since we're Jesus is obviously not talking about building literal houses. If you look at the, the little chart there in your bulletin on the notes page, you can see that there's actually... Very, there's a lot of this, uh, these two illustrations that are very similar. These two houses and these two builders have a many parallels to them. I think Jesus maybe would have us to envision two houses that look very similar on the outside. In fact, he may want us to see one as more beautiful than the other. Because often the outward appearance of the life of a hypocrite looks more attractive than a person who's living in real righteousness. Think about the tax collector and the Pharisee in Luke 18. 
the Pharisee shows all the outward signs of being righteous in the way that he fasted and gave his tithes, which we should note are things that Jesus says we should do in secret. Uh, But nonetheless, he appears to be a better man. He looks like a more beautiful house than the tax collector who instead beat his breast and confessed his sin. But of course, appearances can be deceiving. Jesus is driving home the idea that that two people may outwardly look like followers of him and true children of God. The, The comparison of these two houses is not between someone who loves God and someone who hates him. It's not between someone who claims to be a Christian and someone who says they don't believe in God at all. No, these these two people from all appearances are followers of Jesus. They appear on the outside to be Christians. But appearances can be deceiving. And Jesus, in speaking of these two houses, he's, he's not concerned about their outward appearance. He wants us to instead consider their hidden foundations. He doesn't want us to evaluate them on their outward appearance, which is how we usually judge other people. He wants us instead to consider these unseen foundations. Because as we know from the anointing of King David, if it's, it's we human beings who look on the outward appearance. But what does God look at? He looks at the heart. So what are the two foundations? Consider the similarities and the difference between these two people who are building. We can notice that both of them hear the words. Do you see that? They both hear the words of Jesus. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, and verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine. So they, they both hear the words of Jesus, specifically the words of the Sermon on the Mount, calling us to, to true wholeness and to true righteousness. But one builder hears them and does what Jesus says to do. And the other does not. One person seeks after the all of life righteousness that Jesus is calling us to. And the other settles for the surface righteousness that makes him or her appear to be a true follower of Jesus. One person builds on the rock of the greater righteousness of the kingdom. And the other person builds on the sand of external righteousness alone, which is in fact no foundation at all. As I think about these two houses, one to me looks like a normal home. And and it looks like a normal home from all angles. You can go all around and it just looks like a house. And the other one looks like a beautiful mansion on the front. But then from every other angle, it looks like a prop on a movie set where there's nothing behind it and there's nothing underneath it. We're going to come back to these two foundations in a moment. But let's think now on that second question. What are the results of building on these two foundations? What are the results of building on these two foundations? Let's again begin with the similarities between these two houses. And the the similarity is found in the fact that the wind, the rain, and the floods beat mercilessly against them. Both houses face the forces of nature pounding against them. I think we can all relate in some way to this idea. Some of us have have heard and seen and and felt the effects of thunderstorms and strong winds. Some have even felt the power of a hurricane or a typhoon or maybe a tornado. But to one degree or another, we've all been in a situation where we've been sitting in our our house and we look at the walls and we look at the ceiling and we think, I hope this thing holds up. Or or maybe we see water rising and we think, I wonder how close that's going to get to my house. We know that 
that these things, we know what it would be like to be in a house and have the storms beat against it. And just as we've all felt to one degree or another the forces of nature, we have also all felt the wind and the rain and the floods of life. We all know pain and disappointment. We have all felt loss and heartache, depression, fear, shame, uncertainty, and things like this, they beat against us all. Temptation and evil, they beat on our door and they threaten to sift us like wheat. And there are times when we look at the walls of our house and we say, I sure hope this thing holds up. I feel like I might collapse in this moment. Well, if we are built on purely outward, external displays of righteousness, then we will begin to shake. If, if our foundation is, is sand, it's not going to take much for us to collapse. But if we're founded on the rock of true righteousness, of, of wholeness and of faith, then we can stand firm. That's not to say that there won't be difficulty or pain in our lives as Christians. Longfellow famously told us that into each life some rain must fall, some days must be dark and dreary. Our hope as followers of Jesus is not that we will be preserved from all trials, but rather that we will be preserved through them. That in the words of Paul, we, we, we can be afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And it's only by building on the foundation of the kingdom's greater righteousness that we can stand firm in the midst of wind and rain and flood. The context of these verses helps us to see that, that this is not only the, the storms of life that are referenced here, but also the storm of the final judgment. Jesus spoke back in verse 22 of, of that day, you remember. And so we're, we're reminded in the words of Hebrews 12 that there is a day coming that where there will be a great shaking of everything. A day when God will shake the heavens and the earth and he will reveal the foundations of our lives. We can also think about this image of a rising flood throughout scripture, which is often a picture of God's judgment. Of course, when we think about floods as judgment, Noah in Genesis 6 and 7 and the great flood come to mind. But listen also to these words of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 13, 13 through 14. I just wonder if Jesus had these words in mind as he spoke this illustration. It says there, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger, and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. The day of God's wrath that is coming is a day when everything will be laid bare, when all the facade and the fakery of our lives will be revealed. You know what they say, you can fool some of the people some of the time, and you can fool all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. And you know what else is true? You can fool God none of the time. And he will show his perfect knowledge of the foundations of our lives on the last day 
when the flood of his just judgment rises and reveals everything. If we are not built on the rock, then we will fall. And Jesus says it will not be a small fall, but rather it will be great. So if we are going to build our lives on the foundation of true righteousness, the foundation of hearing and doing what Jesus says, the foundation that's able to withstand the storms of life and the storm of final judgment, how, where do we start? How can we find ourselves building on a rock-solid foundation as opposed to a shaky and sandy one? How can we build our house on a foundation that will withstand the storms of life and the flood of the final judgment? Two thoughts, and let's begin with the good news of the gospel. How do we build on the solid foundation? First, we must trust in what Jesus has done. We must trust in what Jesus has done. It is clear that false external righteousness is no foundation, and our lives will crumble in the storms of life and in the flood of final judgment if that's where our hope is. But we also know that if our hope is in some sort of righteousness within ourselves, we will also collapse. Jesus is not telling us that our hope is built on our efforts at keeping the commands of Christ that we have been reading and learning about. Rather, our only hope is in the fact that Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the righteousness that he speaks about here in the Sermon on the Mount. Our holy God rightly requires justice for our law-breaking and our rebellion against him. And he also says that we must be perfect to stand in his presence. And so, out of his great love, he has sent Jesus, his son, to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, to keep the law for us, and then to die for our unrighteousness, to die for the ways that we have broken his law. And then he calls us not to do more, but to faith. He calls us to trust in what Jesus has done, to repent and turn from our sin and believe in the salvation that we can have through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we sing, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. My hope is not on the false righteousness of my life. My hope is not in my efforts to be righteous. My hope is in the righteousness of Jesus. To build our lives on a firm foundation that can withstand the storm of final judgment, we must trust in what Jesus has done. But notice also, we must do what Jesus calls us to do. If you want to build your life on the solid foundation, we must do what Jesus has called us to do. Have you heard the children's song inspired by this passage? I'm sure you have. The wise man built his house upon the rock, right? You know the third verse? So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ and the blessings will all come down. <laughs> Which is what we've been talking about. Build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's only half of what this text is teaching. Because the difference between the two builders is that one heard what Jesus said to do and did it. And the other heard what Jesus said to do and didn't do it. The, the word for, for do occurs 22 times in the Sermon on the Mount. And it occurs in some very key places. In the introduction of the, the main section of the sermon, back in chapter 5, verse 19, 
We read this. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing, doing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And then chapter 7, verse 12, the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. How do we know who is a follower of Jesus? They do what Jesus says to do. In Matthew 12, 50, Jesus tells us that whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Who's a part of Jesus' family? The people who do the will of the Father. 1 John 2, 4-6 through says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. How do we know that we're in him? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Remember the words of Deuteronomy 30 that we read last week where the the choice of keeping or rejecting the law is said to be a choice between life and death. And so too here, the life of flourishing and blessing, the life that stands firm in difficulty is the life that does what Jesus says to do because there is blessing that flows from keeping God's good commands. So to build our lives on the rock, we must trust in what Jesus has done And we must do what Jesus calls us to do. And these two things are are not opposed to each other. In fact, they are intricately connected. Because the gospel, trusting in what Jesus has done, empowers, enables, and encourages us to do what Jesus says to do. Through through faith in Christ, trusting in what Jesus has done, we are given a a new heart. We're given the gift of the Spirit, which makes it possible for us to walk in true righteousness and wholeness. Apart from that new heart, apart from the Spirit, we cannot do what Jesus has called us to do, but because He redeems us, we now can. That It makes it possible for us to do to others what we would have them do to us. The Gospel also grounds us, in grounds our identity in the fact that we are children of the Father. Think about hypocrisy and false righteousness. Hypocrisy and false righteousness fear failure. Because if the foundation of my life is what I look like, and then I fail in front of other people, my life collapses. But children of God know the love of the Father, and they know that the love of the Father is not grounded in what they do or do not do, but it's, it's grounded in what Jesus has done. And that kind of grace, it fills us with, with confidence Confidence that my my failure to be perfectly righteous doesn't take away my status as a child. The grace of God gives you freedom to fail and know his forgiveness. Think about home. Home is the place where you take your mask off, literally and figuratively in our day, right? I'm thinking about hypocrisy, though. It's the place where we we, we are ourselves, hopefully, at least the most ourselves that we are in this world. But think about if you could live your life in such a way that you always felt at home. You'd never have to be fake. What if we could live our lives such that our hearts were always at home with the Father? 
and we never had to wear a mask. We, we, we never have to pretend. We never have to act. Because we could, we could walk through life with a deep sense of the forgiveness and the acceptance of our Father. And nothing would ever shake us. Because we would know that He loves and accepts us. That kind of forgiveness and acceptance doesn't lead to rebellion. It doesn't lead to a rejection of God's ways. You know, the idea that uh, we, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound. That's not what happened. Rather, it, it grounds us in our true identity as children of God. And so we long to become who we really are and to live in obedience to the Father as his children. Final thought. You know, there's so much pressure in this world to look good. To, to never show weakness, to never admit struggle, to be self-made men and women who are founded on the foundation of ourselves and our own power. What a waste of time. Don't spend your days acting like you got it all together because none of us do. And none of us will do it on our own either. Rather, true flourishing is found when we admit our deep need and we build our lives on the rock the rock of, of trusting what Jesus has done and doing what Jesus tells us to do. The, the whole Sermon on the Mount is an invitation to wholeness and honesty that brings blessing to true righteousness. As we see in this passage, it's not an invitation to a storm-free life, but it's an invitation to a life that can stand firm and stand with joy no matter what would come against us. And so Jesus invites us. He says, build your life on the foundation of true righteousness. And the blessings will all come down. <laughs> Let's take a moment of silence and then I will pray. Father, we want to know blessing and security and safety. We want to be strong in the midst of the difficulty that comes into our lives. And the only way we can do that is by trusting in what Jesus has done and doing what Jesus tells us to do. Lord, you call us not into misery, but you call us into life and to flourishing and to blessing. You call us to to freedom, to be who you have called us to be. And so, Lord, we, we take this up and we, we choose, Lord, today. We won't do it perfectly, but we want to build our lives on the rock. We want to build our lives on this, this true righteousness. Lord, we don't want to live in fakery or in play acting. But, Lord, we want to admit our sin and know that you can forgive us and you can make us more like your son, and so, Lord, we thank you for this, this call here at the end of the sermon, not to just hear these words and walk away and say, isn't that nice? But to hear them and to do them and to know the blessing that comes from that. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.